KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm crime and justice reporter Kristen Johansson. This has been a year unlike any other. And for Daniel Outlaw, it was an unprecedented year as Philadelphia Police Commissioner. In February, Outlaw started as a leader of the fourth largest police department in the country. And just weeks after her first day, tragedy struck the city. SWAT Sergeant James O'Connor was shot and killed in the line of duty while serving an arrest warrant. Days later, the city closed because of the pandemic. Throughout this year, Philadelphia has experienced unrest in the late spring in the wake of George Floyd's killing, and again in the fall after the fatal shooting of Walter Wallace Jr., a West Philadelphia man, and then again with the elections. I spoke with Philly's top cop just before the Christmas holiday and just before the independent investigation report into the unrest came out. And I tried to focus on the whole picture for Outlaw as the city's police leader. She's been criticized by some on how she's led the department through some of these crises and challenges. And she's been applauded by some leaders. But she tells me, through it all, she and the department will continue to grow, learn, and adapt, especially when facing the biggest challenge in Philadelphia gun violence. Here's my conversation with Commissioner Danielle Outlaw. Um, How's this year been for you? It's been very eventful. I wouldn't even know where to begin with answering that question, quite honestly. Um, It's depending on how you want to look at it. It's been one challenge after the other because it's a lot of once in a lifetime or once in a career type of incidents or incidences or occurrences that have occurred all at one time or within a short span of time or again, over a few months. So, I mean, pick well, one. Taking, taking out of like all the, I want to say, I mean, it's hard to take out all the events. I don't mean it like that. But aside from O'Connor, Walter Wallace, the unrest, aside from all that, were you able to do anything that you were essentially set here and wanting to do? Yeah, actually, you know, we laid out an action plan that you and I talked about months ago. And uh, specifically, I can think of, there's actually been quite a few things that have already been accomplished. As it relates to crime prevention and reduction, one of my immediate goals was to put put in place an operating model. So we had a framework, right, to make very clear, here's what our marching orders are as an organization, which requires leadership to be in place. But here's the meetings that are going to take place. Here's what we expect you to report out on. Expanding of our grids, our pinpoint grids, similar to uh, how they were back in 2008. We've done all that. Actually, we was on goal to do that before the end of 2021. And it was done in, in recent months. So quite a few things that have already, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle for establishing foundation have been put in place. And now we have to sit back in addition to implementing more things in 2021. But now we have to sit back and allow the strategy to work. While all these other things have been going on, it's been a lot of good work that's been done by the people. We haven't stopped. Kind of rolling back, I guess, through the year. I mean, the first thing was Sergeant O'Connor. Have you ever dealt with anything like that before the death of a police officer like that? As a police commissioner, no. As a police chief, no. Uh, if you go back to 2009, back in Oakland, we had four officers killed in one day. Very similar circumstances. Very tough to um, never forget. But yes, I have experienced that. Not as a police, like I said, not as the leader of the organization. It has a very different feel being the one to address family, to personally see family mourn, 
And then on top of all of that, have to explain to them that we're not able to celebrate and memorialize their loved one in the manner in which we would usually do it because of a, a pandemic that at that time was still kind of unfolding and we were learning more and procedures were changing and it seemed like every time we turn around, it was a different guideline or how many people can be where or who could do what and trying to explain that to a grieving family, it was just extremely difficult. And then to offer remarks during a ceremony from a distance, I mean, a very far distance, and to look out in the pews of a church and see folks spaced out, completely abnormal, right? You don't have the ability to console and hug and just gently tap someone's hand or make eye contact because you're so close enough to let them know that everything's going to be okay. All I could do is my absolute best to relay how genuine I, I was about my words in my remarks. But again, it was from afar. I've done four flag ceremonies, four funerals. I've had to give remarks. I've met with family all during a pandemic and trying to explain just because you don't see the normal things that you'd see when we would memorialize, it doesn't mean that your loved one was any less than. All the while trying to maintain my composure, recognizing how tough it is, not just for the family, but for our internal family here as well, because we've lost folks unexpectedly. The COVID pandemic, totally unexpected. It's a silent killer. Murder of Sergeant O'Connor, totally unexpected. So working with all those parameters, it takes a toll seems like every time I, I, I present a flag or have to offer remarks, it takes a little bit away from you. It chips out of you each and every time. But I find ways to re-energize and remind me of my purpose. But I mean, this year has been absolutely somber, which is why I try to find opportunities, you know, to say it's okay to smile, right? If we find ourselves going down this pit of, oh, woe is me. You know, we're like Eeyore. Every time we turn around, if we continue to harbor on all the negatives that have happened in this past year, how do we allow ourselves to be open to thinking, hey, there's opportunity in 2021? I see this year, I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence that 2020, the year was 2020, it's perfect vision, right? 2020 has shown a light on all things, whether good or bad, on everything in its realest form, whether it's policing here in the country, policing here in the city, the inequities amongst our infrastructures, our systems here, how police are drawn into that, inequities here internally in the police department, whether perceived or real, you name it, everything was on the table. So how foolish would we be to not utilize this as an opportunity and say, all right, it's time to do something about it in 2021. And so handling the COVID, I mean, nobody gives you a pamphlet on that. So what were those yeah. meetings like, I guess, with Farley and probably Kenny trying to figure out with your force, I'm saying trying to figure out kind of how to keep everybody safe. You have a force of 6,000. They all have to go out on the streets. What were some of the, some of the things you can say now that maybe you couldn't about where cops were, what they were doing, what you had to restructure and what you provided for them? This caught everyone so much off guard that protocols were being developed as we were going on with each day. But then recognizing very early on, oh shoot, it's a great luxury to be able to say, okay, everybody's socially distanced, everybody, one person over here, one person over there. Then we quickly realized we couldn't do that <laughs> as 
weird as this sounds, for public safety reasons, you don't ride one person to a wagon. So we had to do everything that we can to make sure that people that had to stay in a car together because we don't have enough cars to be one person in a car already looked at, you know, looked into that, did what we could to make sure that they had extra equipment or or the equipment that they need. What's getting a lot of attention now, but it actually, quite frankly, got a lot of attention in the beginning of the pandemic was the radio room with our dispatchers, getting them hand sanitizer, making sure that they were socially distant. I remember going down there and we uh, had to put distance in between the consoles because we couldn't move them anywhere. Right. And then opening a second satellite area for them to work so we could properly socially distance them. But, you know, what about the jobs, again, where people can't work from home remotely? What were we doing for them? And, and we had to work in tandem with public property, again, to provide the plexiglass, the screenings, you know, all these things. But these were things that were being built as we were flying the plane because no one had experienced this before. I think we're in a much better place now. Uh, as far as how we have things set up, but it comes out of cost because a lot of our public facing services, we had to shut down for safety reasons. And then we turn around and get sued for having a backlog or having to shut down a gun permitting unit. So again, it's been lesson after lesson. There are no perfect beings. We've had some missteps, obviously. We still get some folks, you know, again, we saw it, folks that refuse to put on a mask or they put it on when you tell them, when you're right in front of them, then they put it on. But again, for the most part, I think we've been I don't want to say lucky, but we've been fortunate that our numbers have not been as high as some of the other police departments that we've seen in the country. Do you know yet, I guess, what the primary motive is for either shootings or homicides? Well, for homicides, we're seeing mainly um, argument. And then second to that would be around narcotics or drugs, especially in the East Division. Drugs might be a little bit easier to address and that, you know, drugs are drugs are tangible. Arguments, not so much because there's so many unknowns associated with that, right? And when you when there's arguments, then there's retaliation, but you don't know whether or not someone's going to retaliate. You don't know what they're arguing about. You don't know at which point um, this argument will bubble up and fester into an act of crime or an act of violence or so on and so forth, which is why I continue to stress that prevention is so important. Prevention and intervention. You know, you can't just have a carrot and no stick and you can't just have a stick and no carrot. And there's so many moving parts when you talk about a holistic, comprehensive violence prevention plan. And we are but one part of it, but we just can't be everywhere at all times. I listened to, I think all of them, maybe I missed one city council hearing because I was on vacation, but you always have like a presentation with the newest numbers involving um, VUFA arrests, involving number of guns off the streets. I'm very intentional about the slides that I present. And I intentionally continue to include information about guns that we recover and VUFA arrests to show we're paying attention to some of the causes of these shootings. We need you all to also do the same. And I know the pandemic has really slowed down a lot of the efforts. I mean, courts were closed for the longest time. You know, there's backlogs everywhere. But we also have to ensure that the same way we, PPD, I, prioritize crimes, we need our partners to do the same, whether it's in how who gets supervised and how, or how quickly a case is brought in front of a judge, whether it's the type of consequences for certain types of cases. And again, I'm not just saying somebody with a gun and, you know, there's generally some pretty serious crimes also associated or coupled with these. 
So what I would need moving forward is not just our partners to say, well, if PPD had this, we'd be able to better do that. Thank you for speaking for us. But we also need you to be aligned. And I think we're, you know, we're slowly, we've made a lot of movement forward because there's a lot more communication amongst leaderships from the different stakeholders that represent the courts. I don't believe that was happening as regularly as it happens now. So we can at least give the feedback and say, hey, we just got this guy and he's been arrested 50,000 times and he was let out and did this again. What is going on here? I don't think that communication was happening before, but we're doing everything that we can. We also need folks to be willing the same way we are for me to be open and say, okay, where are we messing up? Where do we need to improve? What can we do to make things better? I think we're slowly seeing some traction around that, but we need more of that and we need more alignment in how we prioritize these cases. We, meaning PPD, along with the other partners in the criminal justice systems, because we're only one one partner in this system where the entryway, but if they're not going to do anything, or again, if there's no carrot or there's no stick and it's not balanced, folks are going to continue to do what they want to do because there's no repercussions either way. And kind of, I guess, moving on that, like with homicides and the clearance rate, I know there were eight new detectives, I think that came in. And again, we haven't been able to clear any of these cases in courts, but can you tell me a little bit about what the clearance rate looks like now? Our clearance rates are not where I don't think anyone will want them to be. The shooting clearance rate hovers in its teens. Uh, The same time last year was in the low 20s. That's still low. Uh, When I first got here back in February, the homicide clearance rate was like 62% and some change. It's now at 43%. The caseload has increased, but the number of people assigned to investigate these have pretty much remained the same. But then we also have to look at, again, Uh, And we just started this maybe a couple of weeks ago. Back in May, I asked the DA's office for uh, dedicated personnel to assist us with looking at quality assurance for these cases. Why are cases being withdrawn or declined? Where are we losing them? What can be done? Because, and again, this was back in May. What can we learn from what's happening here? Because when we turn over a case, we don't have access to what happens to it once it matriculates, right? We just know what happens when we turn it over and then ultimately what happened in the end. So all that stuff in between with all those different hands that or eyes that see it, we need to know what happened, especially if it's something that for which we're directly responsible. In the last couple of weeks, we finally started convening a task force or quality assurance team with the DA's office, their data folks, and our investigators to start doing this on a weekly basis to look at just that. Why are these cases being dropped? What's missing? You know, so on and so forth. And then I also ask for a very open willingness if there's something not in our purview or our realm of influence um, that caused this case not to be charged, I need them to be open to saying, all right, this is on us. Let's fix this. But also being willing and transparent to say this was on us. Here's what it was. And sharing that information in the same way that I've been doing from day one. Again, it's only been going for a couple of weeks, but we have the responsibility of gathering as much evidence as we can to present the case, to the DA's office for them to make a determination. Quite frankly, we've been utilizing, and I and I and I want to acknowledge that you know we were talking earlier. Technology has changed a lot of how we do business, 
And we have to learn and adapt as a police department to change with the community and change our problem solving tactics so we can figure out what's going on in the world, right? Or we're gonna get, we're just gonna get bypassed if we can't keep up. With that said though, we're presenting cases and if there's been a paradigm shift or a philosophy change as far as standards go, as far as the types of evidence uh, that the DA would like to see, and I know he's mentioned uh, several times that the, the forensics or our forensic capabilities would be bolstered or our ability to clear a lot of these cases would be bolstered with new technology if we had it. Um, we, you know, we're like, yeah, we agree. That would be great. But we have to focus on what we have now with what we have with what's been working traditionally over the years. So the communication part is also key because if, if cases aren't being charged because of additional evidence uh, that was needed or the DA's office wants now moving forward, we need to know that. And that's what these meetings call for. But we've had the same amount of people working. The caseloads, the clearance rates have kind of remained covered consistently, but the caseloads are going up. So there, there's a lot of different factors in that, but I, I, I just want to make clear in that ultimately we're not the, the, the body that says, okay, this is something, this case is ready to get charged. We might, in our mind, the investigator might say, okay, we know who this is and the case is cleared and we're ready to go make an arrest, but we also have to get that warrant to go make the arrest. So we're one part of it, but we have a huge chunk of it. What would you consider being your biggest win or your biggest accomplishment <laughs> for the year? Let's start there. Positive. I would say 2020. I just mean, that, that's- just That's, surviving it? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, withstood, not survived, withstood. It's one thing to kind of say, all right, I'm just going to fill this seat and zip up my coat, pull over my hoodie and just let the wind go by me and say, as long as I can stand here and make it, I'll be okay. It's been far more than that. We're still getting work done. I'm still leading. I mean, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's been um, working through and working through and with community regarding the narrative around defunding and some abolishing police, uh, reform and transformation efforts, the civil unrest, the violence, the counter demonstrators that come to counter those who are, right, all of that. Then we had elections. I don't take that lightly. See, folks think when it's quiet or if there's not a lot to report, oh, you're just doing your job. No, it went off that way because we planned, we prepared, we deployed, and it was successful. And we did a really good job in these areas. Now we've had some missteps. We learn, we adjust. But this year is unlike any other year. There's no former police commissioner, police superintendent, police chief that will be able to look you to eye and say, oh yeah, when I did that, blah, blah, blah. Mm -mm. They can't say it because they've never experienced it because no one has experienced this in our lifetimes. So we know it hasn't been experienced in our professional lifetimes. This year, this is not like the DNC or planning for a Pope's visit. There's nothing comparable unless you were a police commissioner or a police officer during the Spanish flu. I don't think there's anybody around who could speak to that. So when I say my greatest accomplishment <laughs> is withstanding this year, still getting things done, still learning from opportunities, overcoming missteps that have been made, still continuing to implement strategy and look forward into 2021, I think, quite frankly, is amazing. Now, I have to do better 
in finding time for myself. I hope in 2021, I'll actually take a vacation and I'm going to like mark just, I'm going to close my eyes and throw a dart at the calendar and wherever it lands, I'm saying, okay, that's when it's going to be. And I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to take it because I know I'm not, I have, I got to do better in modeling health and wellness. That's, and I don't say that to be cheesy. I say that because I want our employees here to value it as well. And if they see me go on a mile a minute, they think they have to go on a mile a minute, right? And I know the circumstances have kind of called for all of us to be on, but I'm looking forward to, again, being able to kind of peel back, having measures in place and saying, no, you enjoy your time. Go be over there, right? Go go be away. So greatest accomplishment, would I would say, withstanding, withstanding this year, but also continuing to contribute at the national level and just being present at the national level and sharing lessons learned, talking about our efforts moving forward, and people still want to know about what we're doing. So while we've had, again, some, some incidences that have gotten this international attention, people still want to hear from us. People still want to know how it is that Philadelphia police are navigating these times, whether it's around reform and transformation, whether it's around budget and how we uh, refigure or reconfigure our budget during a pandemic moving forward. What are our efforts to strengthen an accountability? I mean, you name it, they're still calling me for it and I'm still happily contributing. So all is not lost, all is not terrible, but 2021 will be a far better year. Do you want to talk about what you wish you maybe did differently? I don't know, because like I said, this... A lot of it, there was no blueprint for this. When I can look back and say, ah, I knew better. I should have done it this way. There's not a lot of moments like that because a lot of the moments that we're experienced were first time ever. We've never experienced it before. So it was like, okay, lesson learned. My thing is kick me in the teeth when we continuously make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. For me, if we make the mistake, we catch it and we address it and we have a system in place to catch it again if it does happen and then we can swiftly address it to me that's a win now again in the in the short term it's not fun because something happened right to someone's detriment whether it's an individual or group persons or the reputation the detriment of the reputation of this department but we have to continue to learn from it the moment we stop learning from things the moment i stop learning the moment i become numb the moment i don't feel some form of emotion when I'm notified about something that occurred either to one of our employees here or somebody out in the community. The moment I don't get a lump in my throat, when I get notified about whatever particular thing it is, then something is wrong. Or if I've experienced over it, it over and over again, and I'm just like, eh, or we don't do anything about it. Um, I, I think folks will see from me that, um, you know, I'm an open book. If I make a mistake and I quickly realize I make a mistake, I'm going to come out and I'm going to tell you. I mean, that that's evident. You can go back and find that when I misspoke uh, and misstated facts and I came back and I was like, well, I thought it was this. Here's what I was told, but here's what I saw. I'm sorry for that. I don't have a problem doing that. But the difference between this year and then moving into 2021 is that I've been here for a little bit. I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm still building, but I'm not building as much as I was building from scratch, being three months into it, having to rely solely and completely on individuals that have been here with institutional knowledge. But there will always be naysayers. And the sooner I told myself this a long time ago. I had to tweak it a little bit for here because they go hard here. Um, there's always going to be someone that's either not happy for you. They want to be in your position. They believe they should have been in your position. And they're going to find every opportunity to wait for you to fall or fail, speak on it, find a mistake, and scrutinize. 
And at this point, that just becomes bullying. And the sooner people realize that with me, I don't give in to bullying and it's just background noise, the better off we'll be because we can all achieve the common goals that we all want to get to. So that doesn't deter me. In fact, it motivates me. Again, lessons learned, you know, looking in hindsight, lessons learned. It's just so many things, you know, when you look at a specific incident or whatever it is, there's so many things that we now know we could have done differently and we've since tweaked and, you know, adapted to. And for me, I'm going to continue. Everybody gets a clear shot with me, whether it's individually or a group or whatever it is. Everybody gets the benefit of the doubt at first. And then when you show me who you are, I believe you. And then I just, you know, deal with folks accordingly. But there will be plenty of lessons learned. We'll continue to have to have lessons learned because we're going to make mistakes. With Christmas coming upon us, I'm reminded that there was only one perfect being. So my final question is, do you have anything new for 2021? Yeah, I mean, when when you look at the plan, there are a lot of things in there, but most of it is is unfunded. But we're still going to move forward with it. Uh, They expect to hear more from me about an early intervention system, still hoping to hire a diversity and inclusion officer, as well as an executive in residence through the Stonely Foundation to help us with our police accountability systems. You know, we've elicited a lot of external technical assistance to help us look at our employee health and wellness, our recruiting and marketing strategies, along with some other things I'm looking forward to, and then also our IA process. And looking forward to getting all of that feedback so we can, you know, short, mid, long term implement a lot of those recommendations. We're going to have to reconfigure because of budget. Uh, it is what it is, but we have to we're just going to have to really look at how we deploy and where we're where we can be leaner. If anything, we're taking a look at our discipline processes. We got negotiations coming up. So a lot of this stuff is tied to uh, collective bargaining. But really, I'm just going to continue to move forward with with everything uh, that's laid out in the plan. But I also really look forward to connecting more with our underrepresented communities. And this pandemic just really just stuck a fork in everything that we would traditionally do. So when you go back, you know, talk about lessons learned, you know, I would have adapted quicker through the use of technology to make those connections with folks internally and externally via technology, as opposed to in person in in the way that I would usually do that. But we will continue to move forward and try to bust out of the status quo while maintaining the things that we know works really well for the department in the city. And of course, gun violence being the top priority. Absolutely. Everything that I'm talking about, right? And so when you and I first spoke about this a long time ago, they're all interrelated. You can't impact gun violence without focusing internally. So when you talk about organizational excellence, community engagement and inclusion, crime prevention and reduction, they're all interrelated. I can't expect my folks to go out and address violent crime if they don't have the tools that they need to properly do it. That's where the organizational excellence piece comes in. That's where the training comes in. That's where the resources come in. That's, you know, and, you know, maybe we'll even move into a new building. I don't know. But you you got to set people up to succeed. It's in, you know, time after time, folks say, well, you're clearance rates are low. And then I mentioned, well, this is what our investigators need. Our detectives need these things. Why didn't you ask for this in the last budget? I don't know. Little birdie, you know, tells me that we did ask for it, but we don't get everything that we asked for. And we have to make do with what we have. So we have to set our people up to succeed, which means prioritizing our budget to set them up to do that so they can work to within their optimal performance so they can deliver that service that everyone's expecting to get these numbers down, these violent uh, crime numbers down. There were 77 recommendations made by the independent investigators into the unrest. 
such as upgrades in communication, operational planning, training, messaging, intelligence, just to name a few. The commissioner has said she took a number of the recommendations and already implemented them into her plan, and they were taking more into consideration, but cited some budgetary restraints. Outlaw said, quote, Myself and the PPD executive team are in full agreement with the changes suggested by the group, and we remain committed to working with our partners and stakeholders to come up with creative solutions that will help put these recommendations into action. For the entire list and the report, head to kywnewsradio.com. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We'll have another episode out soon.